Welcome to the latest episode of the Varying Viewpoints podcast series developed by the Samuel Dewitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice. Today we have a guest host, Leah Hollis, who will be interviewing Ingrid Tullock. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Wonderful. Thank you for having us here. Today we have Ingrid Tullock, who is an assistant professor at Morgan State University, and we're going to talk about the neurobiology of stress and workplace bullying. Welcome, Ingrid. How are you doing today? I am fine, thank you. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I've been studying workplace bullying about over a decade now, and I'm very fascinated with your work looking at the biology of the whole thing. So if you would, um, in layman's terms, can you explain biomarkers for stress and inflammation? Sure. Biomarkers are just physical measurements or physical markers that um, are associated with stress or that are released in response to stress. And there are different types of biomarkers. For example, you can measure changing heart rate or respiration rate. Those are biomarkers. When When you're frightened or you're stressed, your heart rate goes up, right? It increases. The particular biomarkers I'm interested in are more the chemical markers. And so I'm interested in these chemicals that are released in response to stress that lead to the increase in heart rate and so on. Um, Cortisol is one. That's that's the famous one. Everyone calls it the stress hormone. Mm -hmm. But I'm also interested in uh, chemicals that are involved in regulating the immune system. Um, in particular, they're inflammatory chemicals um, and so or pro or anti-inflammatory chemicals in of a specific class called cytokines. And um, cytokines are released in response to stress. So um, they typically are involved in assisting the body to respond to any kind of physical or psychological stressor. So you get a wound, you get an infection, those are all stressors. If you're stressed from being bullied, that's also a stressor. And so the body is going to respond to stressors. It's not distinguishing between, oh, this is a this is a wound, mm-hmm. or this is, you know, this is a my coworker repeatedly undermining me. So your body is just gonna know that there's some stress and these cytokines are released. And actually cortisol's job is to then go back and turn off that excess release. But that system, which is part of what we call the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, that that stress structure or axis circuit in the, the nervous system, that system, if it's repeatedly engaged, it becomes dysregulated. And so Uh, these chemicals start functioning in ways that they probably shouldn't because the system did not evolve to respond to stress that is on all the time. It it evolved to deal with emergencies. You know, they pop up, you respond, and then your body goes back to normal, right? Um, And so in terms of these chemicals, they're how they change under various conditions, especially in the condition of chronic stress, um, is really critical because all of these chemicals, the, the cytokines, inflammatory cytokines, as well as cortisol, 
have been associated with a variety of um, pathologies ranging from diabetes, hypertension, depression, anxiety, aging-related disorders um, like dementia, because even these chemicals are also being released in your brain and they damage nerve cells, particularly in the area of the brain associated mm. with learning and memory. Oh, that's why it affects concentration. Yeah. So I guess what I'm also hearing is when we are overloaded with stress, whether it's being an officer on the front lines or being in a series of car accidents or being consistently bullied that the body is overloading the stress hormone and that's where the damage comes in. Yes, that yeah. is that is correct. Um, as I mentioned, we evolved to deal with these occasional emergencies, right? We evolved the system, but um, life itself has stress, has stressors. And stress, uh, I should say, is not just bad. So I don't want to give stress just a bad name across the board. Um, some stressors are good because it drives action, right? It drives you. You have a deadline and you might feel a little stress that pushes you into taking action and you solve the problem and then you move on. Mm -hmm. But it is the day in, day out chronic stressor and multiple stressors, right? Because mm -hmm. there's the normal everyday stressor of you know, getting up, going to work, having deadlines, navigating um, traffic. Those in the modern world, I mean, we've gotten used to those everyday stressors. But then there's the added stressor of when you're at work, right? You might be bullied, mm -hmm. right? Someone repeatedly undermining you, questioning your abilities, making you second guess yourself or you are worried about because of the socioeconomic conditions um in the country so you're worried about that we're in the middle of a pandemic that in and of itself is a stressor and a lot of people have had to adjust to working from home or if you're a faculty member teaching online or a student worried about learning mm -hmm. um in the virtual environment, those are stressors, you know, because you have to adapt to them. And your body will go through these biochemical changes to help you adapt. But there is what we call homeostasis. Mm -hmm. You get back to some level of functioning. But if the stressor persists, now you start shifting to what Bruce McEwen, who studied a lot of these things when he was alive um, called allostasis, which shifts you, it basically shifts your, your set mm -hmm. point. So maybe we, um, throughout life, growing up, our body has this steady state level of releasing these chemicals in response to a stressor. But because of repeated and chronic stressors, your body might say, wait a minute, this amount may not be good enough. We need to, to ramp it up and say, you need more. Um, and so it switches the set point that it brings you back to with each repetition of the stressor. And it's, it is that shift in set point that takes you, we say the allostatic shift. And so each additional chronic stressor is what we call an allostatic load. And for some people, 
that load is really high. So their set points very different from someone who doesn't carry such a heavy um, load of stressors. Um, and we can talk about the many examples in, in society related to that mm -hmm. from, you know, we, we can get into some discussions about population groups and um, the kind of allostatic load they're dealing with just based on socio cultural, socioeconomic conditions. Okay. And can you give us a snapshot of how you uncover these problems in your laboratory work? It's interesting because I feel like I've come full circle to this when I my first foray into research as a student was in a neuroendocrinology lab. And I went on to do my dissertation work studying substance abuse. So my training is in on the molecular mechanisms of methamphetamine toxicity in the brain. So how methamphetamine damages the brain or doesn't damage the brain under whatever conditions. And my dissertation advisor worked under Bruce McEwen, who wrote, studied these stress responses a lot and um, really delineated this idea of homeostasis versus allostasis. And so when I started my career as, you know, official researcher, finally have my, my own lab and doing research, in studying a lot of the processes involved in um, addiction, what happens when the brain is exposed to these psychostimulants, and in my case, primarily studying methamphetamine, you would see these changes in the expression of the genes that code for these proteins, um, whether it's coding for cortisol, are coding for um, chemicals that support the brain like BDNF or inflammatory cytokines. And we repeatedly see these changes um, and huge changes mm. in an acute model, but over time you start to see some separation. Some you actually start having a down regulation, what we, we call a decrease in expression of the gene, for example, decrease in expression of cortisol receptors, the glucocorticoid receptors, um, as they're called. So you would see these changes and, and I'm like, well, okay, this is associated with stress and in a chronic condition, you see the downregulation of the receptor, but you see this high load of the actual protein that binds to the receptor. So that kind of shifts the function, right? And in particular, this was really interesting for cytokines because cytokines would be really high in the chronic exposure. Um, but over time, you'll have these lower levels. It can be confusing at times because you'll see in studies, some studies will say, oh, um, this stressor causes an increase in cortisol and then you'll see other studies that say this stressor causes a decrease, but really what you're distinguishing is between the acute versus the chronic. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, if, if we could move on, I'm particularly curious how this inflammation and what we're discussing affects African-Americans. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> or other people of color who are enduring more stress because of prejudice, discrimination, harassment, et cetera. Right, those are all stressors. Yes in addition to the normal stressors everyone faces, right? Mm -hmm. Work, life balance, day-to-day -day stressors. 
and everyone has their um, their level of stress that they face. You know, no one's immune from facing stress, but there are these what I call unique stressors that is persistent, chronic. For example, racism and bullying that accompanies that. The microaggressions, for example, mm-hmm. that's, those microaggressions are a perfect example of chronic stressors. And I would say it's even worse because you can be made to feel as if you're the crazy one, right? Right. When these things are happening, um, which is itself an added stressor. So imagine facing those things and the social issues around race and racism that you face on a daily basis as a black person that someone who is not black or maybe not a person of color, they don't face those stressors. They don't think about, they don't have to think about race, but mm-hmm. when you're when you're a person of color, you do have to think about race. And so that's an added stressor and it's a chronic stressor. You cannot take away that stimulus. You are who you are and you're having these experiences based on who you are, your your skin color, your biological makeup. And so it's not like you could change your race, right? So that is a persistent stressor. And I would say that adds to the allostatic load, right? And when you think about the conditions that people who face various types of stressors, including the racial in, in the stresses of discrimination and um, and then the stressors of mm-hmm. socioeconomic consequences based on discrimination because of your race and the bullying that happens in the workplace and that we're seeing more on a larger social scale, the national scale, you know, like being told to ignore your your negative experiences, right? It's it's like if I uh-huh. may go to like a sort of almost biblical, you know, the you're being poked in the eye, right? And and you're saying my eye, my eye, but you're told there's what are you talking about, right? So then, as it applies to contemporary, very contemporary, the COVID situation, mm-hmm. we've seen on the news and from the CDC that more people of color, Blacks and Hispanics, are succumbing to COVID. And in fact, Mm -hmm. the children who have died from COVID have been primarily children of color. So how do these stress markers and the things that you're seeing in your research pointing to or explaining why people of color are more susceptible to other diseases after being bullied and discriminated against and harassed, et cetera? And I say this is my belief and a hypothesis um, okay. that is to be tested more thoroughly because there have been a lot of the social determinants of health model in the public health literature talks about this a lot, how the social conditions as stressors impact the body physically, including the immune system and all of the things I talked about earlier about you know cytokines are immune chemicals. They function in your immune system and they're good in the short term, but having high levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines 
is not good because part of what their job is to do is to help stimulate the destruction of tissue. The assumption is that it would normally be um, damaging tissue you want to clear from your body, but when it starts attacking your own body, it we start thinking in terms of autoimmunity and they think of all the autoimmune disorders um, and your body's ability to mount, mount a response to something like COVID or any other infection is compromised because you have a dysregulated immune system that is um, likely, and I'm parsing my words here, likely a direct consequence of social conditions, the socioeconomic conditions, the bullying, the socioeconomic conditions are the stressors that is consistently wreaking havoc on your body. Okay. And so when you face a real, what we evolve to resist, you know, viruses and viral proteins and bacterial proteins, the things our body, our bodies evolve to resist through our immune system, the ability to really defend against that is compromised because it's been repeatedly engaged such that it's now dysregulated based on everyday living in a bullying culture. Sure. Now, is this also why people of color, Blacks, Hispanics, et cetera, are more susceptible to diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, stroke? Um, Is that correct that these, because the body is in this continuous state of fighting stress and dealing with it biologically, that when other things come up like COVID or the flu or what have you, that we've already kind of, what should you say? We've already- Like fatigued in a fatigued immune system. Fatigued system that it can't keep fighting these other things as effectively as those who do not face the stress. And I would say that is a hypothesis in terms of the social determinants of health in some of the work that that I've been looking at and looking at these cytokines that are associated with, you know, aging-related dementia, cardiovascular diseases, autoimmune diseases, and you look at the health disparity in terms of, for example, African-Americans having um, poor outcomes in these conditions, you know, cancer um, and all of these other health conditions, a common a, a repeated marker you see these altered cytokines, uh-huh. and 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 when you ask about their life experiences, right, you you see this accumulation of stressors, stressors related to racism, say police brutality, um, bullying at work, and in addition to those things. There's how we respond behaviorally to those stressors. When you're stressed, um, you just want to feel good because you don't normally feel good, right? It it uh-huh. is even quite normal to seek out relief, right? Except maybe we seek out those more risky, short-term or rewarding ways of dealing with the stressors. So maybe you come home and you relax with a glass of wine which occasionally not a bad thing, but when it becomes coming home every day <laughs> and relaxing with two and three glasses of wine, or you have your cigarette to calm down, 
or all of these other um, more risky health behaviors that also contributes to this dysregulated physiological system. And again, these chemicals are also in your brain. So it might contribute to how you make decisions about the behaviors you engage in and what you do. And they might shift towards more immediately rewarding um, behaviors that again can negatively impact health. So it becomes like a vicious cycle, right? Social conditions act on your physiological system that in turn um, promote a tendency towards more risky behaviors that also impact the biological system and on and on and on and on. Okay, because I do know sometimes in, in lectures that I've given about workplace bullying, and I make a joke about it, um, and humor tends to help out when we're dealing with serious topics, at least when I'm giving a lecture. And I've commented sometimes that one of the reactions to stress in workplace bullying is to, as I put it, rekindle your relationship with Ben and Jerry's, Popeye's chicken, you know, the guy in the clown suit who's selling burgers mm -hmm. and fries and all those things that give you that immediate reward. So I am, I guess I'm following up with, uh, would you consider overeating or bad food choices as part of this stress uh, reaction and something that we do uh, to quell our stress, but ultimately leads to other problems. Absolutely. I mean, high fat, high sugar, salty diets um, kind of stimulates that, uh, let's say the dopamine in your brain um, that is, it's known as your brain reward or pleasure um, uh -huh. hormone by some call it that. Um, it signals reward, right? So immediate reward you have the Ben and Jerry's and you feel good, right? It's the sugar and the fat and you immediately feel good because you have that rapid dopamine fix. It's a similar, except maybe to a greater extent with, with a substance, a psychoactive substance that some people become addicted to. You're talking psychoactive substances. Are you referring to like cocaine or nicotine or alcohol, okay. right? It's the dopamine fix. So you can imagine that some of the behaviors that are the health behaviors that individuals might turn to, to kind of mitigate the, the bad feeling of being constantly bullied, of being stressed. Um, you know, you turn to these things to kind of give you a dopamine rush to feel better. I, I actually, I, I'm trained in animal, a lot mm -hmm. of animal behavior. And there've been recent, recent, over the recent years, some studies that talked about how when male fruit flies are rejected sexually by the females, they drink more alcohol. Oh. Right? So it's a kind of, you know, animal world example of when you're repeatedly, you know, repeated rejection um, and then you don't feel so good about yourself. And just think about the ways in which to bring it back to people of color um, in our society and the, this this kind of rejection that's done in a very aggressive way, um, the repeated rejection and then the seeking out ways to feel better. Hmm. Um, and, and, and so maybe some, some of the ways that people do that is through these really delicious elaborate meals that are probably not the 
most healthy or um, the substances mm -hmm. that are not healthy. So just another, another example. Animals do what we do it. Wow, yes. And in some of my previous work, I have found that the more complex the demographic markers, so if you're a woman, but then you're a black woman, but then you're a black woman who is in the LGBTQ community, or you're a black woman and you're a religious minority, the more complex your demographics, the more likely you are to face workplace bullying. Mm -hmm. And I noticed in some of the things I've read of yours where you also are invoking Crenshaw's intersectionality theory. So how does intersectionality potentially play into what we're talking about, stressors, uh, workplace bullying, how women, uh, women of color, et cetera, and more complex personas are more likely or more susceptible to these things at a biological level. Thanks for that. And this is a more recent um, work of mine, actually more further developing work, but I am fascinated by the idea of these intersecting identities that we're not just one, right? We are multiple identities. I'm a black woman, right? Mm -hmm. So those are two identities, but I'm also of Caribbean descent. So that's three identity, you know, immigrant, so all of these multiple identities, um, I come from a very much working class family. Another identity that puts me in a different socioeconomic bracket in terms of my development. And so I have all these intersecting identities and I may face discrimination or bullying based on any of those individual identities or a combination of all, right? That the combination might make the way I face the bullying slightly mm -hmm. distinct from maybe the way someone else might face bullying who is also a black, also a woman, maybe not not heterosexual, um, maybe not Christian and so on and so forth. And we can add these identities and, and just think of the multiple ways in which those identities relate to the stressors we face, right? An immigrant might face a different stressor from someone born in the US, and then a, a Black immigrant might face unique stressors that Latinx immigrant might not face. So you have these intersecting identities. And I, I am conceptualizing that as adding to the allostatic load, right? It's another thing on top of all of the stress that you're dealing with. And because it's about identity, it's about things that you can't just, you can't change, right? It's who you are. So you face these stressors day in, day out. And one, one thing that mm -hmm. I, I think about a lot and I've been thinking about a lot lately is the polyvictimization based on these intersecting identities, right? And I'm, I'm defining polyvictimization in terms of being victimized in multiple mm -hmm. contexts at different times. So I, I use an example of a woman that might face, and, and I'm just 
throwing out these examples, of, you know, men face similar issues, but that might be unique to being male, but you might be sexually harassed at sure. work because you're a woman, but you might also be racially profiled because you're black, you know, you're racially profiled yeah. by police officers because you're black. Um, and you might face financial discrimination um, because of your socioeconomic status. And so you're having all of these, what really we're talking about is bullying. In all of those cases, they're bullying. And bullying um, in these different contexts at different times contributes to that polyvictimization that is also a function of your intersecting identities. Yeah. And it's it's really difficult because, you know, with the socioeconomic class, we don't always talk about, but I think about it even in terms of what we're looking at with COVID mm -hmm. and was pleased to see a few state governments who put a moratorium on eviction. Right. Um, because, wow, imagine it's COVID time. You've got three kids and now you've lost your place to stay mm -hmm. or you're living in an area where there is not a lot of opportunity for social distancing. And then, of course, if you don't have proper health care, that becomes right. another stress, which tends to fall along yep. racial lines, given the opportunities afforded to people of color in this country. Race, gender, you know, LGBTQ mm -hmm. face um, health access stressors in this day compared to people not falling into those categories, right? Sure. Um, and so there, there are all of these multiple factors. Really, it's just a complex issue with multiple factors that we're sometimes trained to look at this one piece and that one piece and they're all important because then you can kind of put it together and i like i like to think about well all these different pieces can you imagine just conceptualize what an individual with these multiple identities might be facing sure um in terms of just the physical toll and then you look at the the COVID numbers, and then you're like, oh my God, yeah. It, it, certain communities, it, it, like they physically, just basic physiology mm -hmm. is set up to make it more difficult to respond because of their life experience. Previous stressors that they've already absorbed. Right, previous stressors, life experience. And I always say, you, you can't change your genetic code. Well, these days with, you know, we can manipulate genes, but we it's unethical to do that in humans mm. in that way, right? But we can change the social conditions if there's a will. Yeah. We can change our behaviors with the education um, and training and the examples, right? The exemplars to say, you know, this is possible it's probable given these conditions mm -hmm. that you can, you can, um, it sounds a little, you know, I say like airy fairy, but heal yourself in, in many ways. And I think that's part of what 
when you think about it, it can be overwhelming. That in and of itself is a stressor. Like, oh my God, all of these things, the world is just a horrible place. What can I do? Right? It can be overwhelming. Sure. And that presents an interesting segue that I mentioned to you earlier. I mean, we've talked about uh, in this session how stress hurts people. And because those of color and those the further away from the dominant culture have more stressors and potentially we've painted a somewhat bleak picture. However, you and I were discussing earlier, how can anyone reverse or heal um, their body from these stresses? What kind of strategies, even if you are the woman of color who's a religious minority who lives crammed in a building and you've got all these stresses, what could she do to reverse some of these stressful impacts on her system. Right. Again, the social determinants of health talks about the social conditions, but also how those conditions breed the risky behaviors. The opposite, opposite of that is how can we learn to engage in health-promoting behaviors to eliminate that avenue um, of stressor? And mm-hmm. it's a lot of things that you see people talk about, right? You avoid the stresses, stressors that you can, a lot of them we can't avoid. We just cannot. And so you find ways to have uh, or engage in all behaviors that are healing, whether that's one of the best ways is exercise. And I'm all for saying exercise mm-hmm. actually increases that brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF. Um, and that will help to preserve neurons, right? It will help to preserve muscle tissue. It will have your body mm-hmm. work in um, a more efficient way, including in healing because it somewhat resets the immune system. Um, so exercise. And, and and you don't have to be a, a crazy gym rat. Just get moving. Um, I think Michelle Obama's Get Moving campaign is a big example of that and why it's so mm-hmm. important especially when it's easy to get bogged down in day-to-day life that you make, you don't make time to get moving and you sit in front of a computer and I'm laughing and thinking of this because I'm sitting in front of the computer now. Um, you know, it's to get moving. Sleep, you know, lack of sleep also disrupts the immune system, increases cortisol and so on. So getting enough sleep, getting in on average eight, seven hours, seven hours a night. Some people need a little bit more. Some people can be okay. They'll maintain homeostasis with a little bit less, Mm -hmm. but getting regular sleep, set regular bedtimes and avoid some of these negative stimuli. Like, sure, it's important to know what's going on in the world, but maybe we don't have to watch every single news report um, one thing that concerns me is the repeated replaying of these traumatic experiences um, of police brutality that that's happening across the country. You know, another black person murdered by police and, you know, replaying and replaying it over and over again. That's a vicarious trauma. Right. Sure. So your your brain's going through that whole stress response. So try to limit consumption of that kind of media and relaxing. Actually, I think historically, 
one of the things is as in terms of people of color is we're very resilient. And um, so it's not all bleak. We talk about our resiliency, we're still here. Many of us do quite well and manage to thrive despite um, those things. And I think the influence of meditation and taking time to move all play a role in that. So we can resist this. And then it gives you the mental clarity to be able to effectively resist it on a larger scale. So I I say it's important, you know, as someone that spends a lot of time in front of the computer and working, it's important for me to get healthy (laughs) because if I want my community to be healthy, I got to start with me. Fair enough. And it's not bleak, right? I can do something. I can reverse the physiological changes, right? You're just trying to bring your set point, your allostatic set point back. Back to center, back to balance or... Yes, yes. So you you get to homeostasis, that's not a huge deviation from where it should have been originally. So there there are options. I I think my great-grandparents exercised those options. meditating, prayer is meditation, you know, whatever your um, spiritual practice, or if you don't have a particular spiritual practice, but you set aside quiet time for your mind. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. very important for healing. And because your, your brain just can't, your body just can't physically be on, on action, action, action all the time. You have to take that time to rest. That makes sense. Even an elite race car needs to come in and go to the pit and get reserviced and relax and not run it into the ground. So these have been some wonderful uh, data points and information that you've brought to us. Is there anything you might share with us in closing about stress and biology, workplace bullying, race and several of the other things we discussed? I I would say, um, and thanks for that option, but I would say we don't want to become the bully and the healthier we can get ourselves to be, mm-hmm. um, the more we can contribute to the decreasing of bullying and all of the things that come with it. And as I said, a lot of these so- social issues and discriminatory practices are bullying writ large. And Mm -hmm. um, we have to find ways to inoculate ourselves against that so Mm -hmm. that we can make a society that's not built on that, right? But first we have to get ourselves healthy to do that. Absolutely. Well, I know I look forward to our future collaborations. I'm very excited about those possibilities. But I know we're at the time, and I certainly would like to thank Ingrid Tullock. Uh, She's an assistant professor at Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. And I've certainly enjoyed visiting with you today and hope that those listening will take away some interesting and uh, applicable information on how to recognize stress, what it's doing to your body, and potentially how to reverse those issues. So thank you very much, Ingrid, for visiting with us today. And that will pretty much conclude my interview with Ingrid Tollett.
Morgan State University. Thank you so much. You are welcome. And thank you for having me.